1: this is everything elite the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe i'm aaron bentley of course and i am joined as always by my good friend mike spears what's up mike
0: hey y'all it's your old pal iron mike spears uh i'm saying dry that's important for me uh we've had a bunch of weather real dry boy I wasn't even thinking about that, but <laughs> no, uh, I had a tornado warning today, so, and we've been flooding, so I've been kind of making sure everything all around the compound's going well, and you know, things are going pretty well here, and the NECA Woods. getting excited for February 29th, for many reasons, but how are you, AB? How's it going, Big Cat?
1: Buddy, I'm okay, long week of work, I'm just hoping that it dries up there in South Carolina in time for Bernie Sanders to win the South Carolina primary.
0: Yeah, this is wild. whoop. whoop. I didn't expect this to happen. I think for like the longest time, I've been like, oh, yeah, no, it's going to be Biden, but he's gone from, Biden was like up up 31 at one point over the summer, and now he's down to five points, and I'm going to be doing my part to help the absolute boy win and, you know, save this mess. So, yeah.
1: Let's do it. We're also joined, I don't have any clue when the Illinois primary is, but we're joined by Nate, a.k.a. Epidensis. What's up, Nate?
2: Hello, Aaron, Mike. Uh, I did Google when the primary was, and then I did forget. But, (laughs) you know, as is my typical mode of operation in life, I Googled enough to see that I'm not up against a deadline yet, so I can not worry about it for however many more weeks. You know, and then in a couple weeks, I'll do the same. Be like, oh, okay, I still have two weeks. I can deal with that later. So that's when the Illinois primary is. Um, Not a lot going on with me. Snowing here. I got a new chair at the office so that's exciting um i've gotten some some additional wall coverings up here i know we've previously discussed my uh poor job of hanging things on my wall but taking care of that got my uh neo ito respect army flag over here on the other side of the camera so uh yeah um doing pretty well
1: all right i'm glad to hear it thank you i'm interested in this desk chair so the way you you posted about it, and the way I read the post was that you kind of just showed up and there was a new desk chair. Did you have any involvement in
2: picking the desk chair? Uh, no, I didn't. There was a there was a period uh, a couple months ago where my boss was like, oh, okay, let's get some new chairs. Hey, uh, you know, you and your coworker, why don't you go over to Staples or Office Max or something and, and pick some good chairs. And we went over and just didn't find a chair that we were particularly enthused about. So... We, I guess they attempted to make us involved, but again, bad at making decisions. So uh, they just rolled in with a new chair uh, yesterday, basically. It was like, hey, new chair. It's a nice looking (laughs) chair, very comfortable, well padded, you know, helps my posture. It's uh, top of the line, I think.
0: Is it wild, like whenever I go to Staples or Office Depot, which sadly is more than I'd like, like, that these places still exist and each and every one you step into is just a very sad, depressing place. Like, is it just the ones around me or is that just like universal consent?
2: No, that's, uh, you know, you spoke earlier about this mess. Um, yeah, I really, uh, get a pretty grim picture of the United States whenever I go, go into any sort of re- retail establishment. And I'm like, how is this place staying open? You know, you walk into like, uh, I don't know, a Best Buy and it's like 40% phone cases. And you're like, this does not seem like uh, we're really a thriving economy here. Um, But, you know, at least I guess selling office supplies, you're more likely to need those on short notice rather than having, you know, an office supply company like many do. Uh, And all the other retail, of course, has been replaced by CrossFit gyms or vape stores or uh, here in Illinois, you know, the slot machine little cafes that are like a bullshit cafe, but really just an excuse to put six slot machines in a place. That's like probably, you know, 60% of all storefronts here now
0: it's really kind of funny around me because I used to live like five minutes drive from Bob Jones university. And if you're a younger listener, or if you're a listener that's not in the United States, take a look at what Bob Jones university is for us old heads. It used to be some, a place that really mattered. It's kind of the place by Bob Jones, but now because they don't have any money anymore, they've had to a their land and like every single strip mall they used to own. You used to have Bob Jones stuff, vape shop, vape shop, vape shop, uh, head shop. And it's just like, this, these people must be going insane because all they have is like the Carolina vape Emporium, and, and, and after a while, I'm like, how many things can you name after like the Carolinas and vape shops, bud? But yeah, no, it's a real state of our economic condition because at the very least, I think almost all of them are fronts. Like, I think it's fair to say that, that, that there's at least some money laundering or fronts going on right there because there can't be that many people that really love vaping that much.
2: Not anymore. No, I don't think so. Except for Grover Norquist. He loves to vape. The uh, The Big Show. The Big Show loves to vape.
1: The Big Show loves to vape. And uh, a lot of people who host popular podcasts love to vape. Hmm. Maybe that's what we're doing wrong. Oh,
2: we're not vaping enough? Yeah, I mean, I think like, I don't know, does Murder Brian vape? I feel like he probably does. I don't think. No, he smokes. He just smokes.
1: The Chapo guys talk about vaping. I think we need to, I mean, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going (laughs) to I need one of you two to start vaping.
2: I mean, I have vaped in my life, um, but I don't, you know, found no, found no real purpose to it after I got through the initial thrill, I guess.
0: I, I feel like I'm obnoxious enough as is that adding like very public vapor to it is just going to be like another layer to like my mythos that i don't think i'm ready for like if that happens like and then we suddenly become popular then i'm just going to like have it go in my head and guys i have enough of like an ego problem as is so we don't need that to happen we don't need me become like the vaping uh podcast superstar
1: big big scandal here in kentucky that people who are elected jailers are also selling e-cigarettes to the uh the prisoners in the jails and one guy became, like, a multimillionaire off of it. And uh, it's pretty wild. Anyway, that's my vaping story.
0: <laughs> is, it one, is it one of those things? I know there's, like, the uh, cards that people can go get at gas stations and, like, fill them up over the phone. And you just basically just give them, like, the codes for it. And he basically had, like, this million-dollar cash card, basically.
1: Uh, it's basically he just, like, came up with a new type of of, like, e-cigarette that's supposed to be, like, safer for being used inside a jail specifically made for inside jails in that, like you can't use it to kill somebody with it, I think is the idea. Uh, But anyway, became a millionaire. That's all. As far as,
2: as as far as scandals go and, you know, self-dealing or whatever, that's pretty good. That's not as good as the, uh, the Baltimore children's book scandal. Were you familiar with that one? I am. Okay. That was one of my, you know, listeners look it up. That's a fun one.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, there was like a, a rash of litigation in like the 80s about smoking cigarettes inside jails and prisons and like the environmental toxicity of it. And so I I hope to uh, be on the forefront of the e-cigarette litigation, you know, in the next five years. Yeah, sure. Sure. Uh, Shout out to the guy on in the YouTube comments who says the show starts at 950 or whatever. Uh,
2: (laughs) (laughs) We've given you ample opportunity to do that. On this Folks, show. this this is the show. The rest <laughs> of it is window dressing. This is the real core of the show.
1: <laughs> All right, follow us on Twitter at everything aew. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epithesis. Mike is at Fuji. yeah hey, that's Fuji with two eyes, like Don Fuji. You can subscribe to the podcast Everything Elite. Search for that on the podcast app of your choice, or go to the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Give us a rating and review five stars only. And make sure you're checking out our Patreon at patreon.com slash everything elite. Here's what we're going to talk about on the show. We're going to play Elite or Delete. We're going to run down Dynamite. We're going to run down the ratings. Apparently, we're going to talk about action figures. There's some uh, nightmare collective news we're going to talk about. And we're going to talk about the, the fake idea that is contract tampering. I'm excited about that. We're going to get right into it this week. We're going to go into Elite or Delete, but I want to do it a little differently this week. I think the thing everybody's talking about from this episode of Dynamite is the main event segment that was MJF giving Cody 10 lashes. So, I don't know. I'm going to start with you, Nate. Now, maybe you tell me how we're going to play this game. Should we, should we just say whether the segment itself uh, was an elite or delete segment, or should we talk about the good and bad parts of the segment?
2: Well, this was your idea, so I'm glad you threw it to me to decide how it's all going to go. I think we're just... I mean, does does anyone disagree, I guess? We should get off the top. Does anyone disagree that this was an elite segment?
0: Yeah, it's elite.
2: Aaron, is this an elite segment or a delete segment? I guess I
1: have to have a strong take one way or the other, don't I? So, No, I I think I'm going to say that uh, overall it was an elite segment.
2: Okay, so we don't disagree... So I guess we should just talk about what parts of it were elite and which parts of it were delete. Does that make sense?
1: Fuck it. I'll delete it. These were
2: your terms. All right. No, let's
1: go. Fuck it. I'll delete it. (laughs) Let's do it. Let's
2: go. All right. Hit me. Hit me. Why do you delete it?
1: Okay. This was, what, a 15-minute segment? And the crowd was uh, quiet as, uh, you know, a... I don't know, Episcopalian church for the first 13 minutes of it easily, uh, maybe longer. And more importantly than that, all the run-ins were like mostly dumb. They didn't really serve much purpose. They didn't feel earnest. Like one good thing about the way they built this up was they did the MJF video where he's selling it. Then you see Taz commenting on it. You see Dustin Rhodes commenting on it. And it all felt earnest enough that you could be like, okay, I'm buying into this. I see where we're going. But then it's like the young bucks doing their like goofy. Oh, no, yo, no, you don't want to do this. I mean, Dustin did a good job, uh, but the brandy thing was not very good. So all that stuff was was not very good. And then I think it was starting to get there of I was like, OK, we're really going. The Wardlow, the Wardlow Lash really set it off. I was like, OK, this is the real shit. But you get the the MJF, the the 10th Lash and they smartly do it to the front of his chest, which I think kind of adds something to it. But after the Wardlow one, it felt so weak. It felt so small, and it didn't have the big climax of what you want at the end of the segment. So I like the idea, big swing, but a little bit of a miss for me.
2: Okay, you were were right on one point. You were right in the last lash was one of the weaker lashes. And for that reason, that just felt a little flat at the end. But that is also the end point. Like once he receives that lash, he's already won. So it's like, you know, he doesn't need to sell it that at that point anyway. So it doesn't really matter, I don't think. Uh, and I guess you were also correct that the, the Wardlow stepping up to do his lash uh, was also a definite high point of it. Um, because that also very smartly, like, gives you a little taste of, oh, now now Cody's really got an issue with Wardlow build into this cage match and not just MJF, like just a good little nugget to throw into that feud as well. The run-ins, I would call them walk-ins were uh, I think pretty savvy, pretty smart. I mean, you've got a segment out there. You've got to build 15 minutes on a guy receiving 10 lashes. There's, you know, three people in the ring and a referee. You have to have some more set dressing. You have to have people up there doing some more stage business just to give, Uh, the crowd something to stay invested and you know continually look and see oh now this is escalating now this is escalating there's more people coming and it did a great job i thought of establishing and cementing some of these relationships you had dustin comes out wants to take the lashes for his brother you know young bucks coming out to to urge him on and the brandy one i thought was the best of all because she sold it great she came down showed some acting chops was like on the verge of tears, but not actually in tears. So it didn't seem hammy or over the top or anything. It was just right on that borderline. And I thought that was great. That was a pretty effective usage of her after all this nightmare collective stuff. So I thought it was pretty great. The crowd maybe did not get super high for it. Maybe people didn't like it in the building or maybe not enough people were invested in, 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 the building, but Yes, is a big swing, is something new, as a real old school kind of southern angle. I thought this was a great little uh, uh, installment of this storyline to give you just that much more heat between Cody and MJF.
0: I thought that with the uh, Brandy thing, that actually was probably my favorite moment of the entire the entire segment because the heels all coming out. Like, yeah, it's in. Uh, Butcher and Blade are now basically henching henching for MJF. So like they're out there. The, like all the heels coming out, I was like, okay, that was whatever. Aren't they were saying like you could do this, like just like trying to motivate was cool. Uh the Bucks, I felt like was just kind of awkward. Like that was the one that if I was going to remove one of been the Bucks one, because I felt like keeping this like self-contained to like nightmare family, this would I feel like been more effective. But the way that like and I've said this before the whole nightmare collective deal the way of how compelling of a character brandy Rhodes can be as a face and just like the fact that like the the camera work which sometimes their camera works great some of it is just too much just WWE brain camera work was so good because you saw basically uh her, her have her hands on the bottom rope and then you had cody who somehow his hands were bleeding like i don't know if he got like blood from like one of the uh well the one of the lashes or not but he was basically like crawling with like bloody hands over to her like tears in his eye like that was a powerful moment and i feel like that that was something that i think like because like the whole idea i guess like if they're gonna they're and we're gonna get into a lot more later about the nightmare collective is like all this like stuff like brandy mjf and arn like being like the second has all been based off the fact that brandy got hurt that one time as a second and now she like reenters the picture i think that was a real powerful image the one thing that i thought was really funny at the time but now that it's come out and it and how nakedly it was done that i think was deleting was having a someone who was a wrestler on the roster like kazarian as the person that was just going after mjf instead of just like having everyone go after him and just like randomly like have like this guy at the bottom half of the frame like try to shoot a double like tackle on him. And like they cut back and forth, cut back and forth. I felt like that was kind of lame. Like, and I'm someone that I thought that they should like have a plant in the audience, throw a cup because that way you can get the crowd really riled up because crowds, you could rile up a crowd. Like they had that plant at full gear. So it, I, I feel like that, like the, the crowd was definitely something that whatever response they ended up getting. And it did seem like this response was great for Cody. Like, I mean, Cody didn't get the at all mjf just seems more like just a shit and then wardlow had the one mark that you could tell afterwards oh that was wardlow's mark so i thought that was kind of cool but like the some of the ways that they try to like manipulate the crowd a little bit i guess with like the uh, fake uh, attack or it was a legit attack but they just weren't prepared for it came off really kind of uh, shitty in retrospect
2: I think it was just supposed to be all the wrestlers emptying out the locker room because MJF had crossed that line. He'd gone, you know, he'd been that shitty that, you know, people were just pissed off in the back because they had there was a shot of like, I think, Chuck and Trent running down the ramp because they were pissed off. And I think it was just that Cash was the first guy to get to him. And that's why he was the guy that entered the frame. It was maybe not shot well too. Communicate that but it, I don't think it really Matters I think it was just as effective uh, You know regardless of who it actually Was going after MJF
1: The two things I want to shout out as being Especially good were One Cody really made The segment it, If anything was good about the segment It was because of Cody His selling of the, the lashes Well I mean he certainly I, So that's my other part the, the number two thing Is that they didn't try to work these lashes At all And if you're going to do this type of segment, you have to do what they did. And he just really, literally beat the shit out of Cody with, uh, it looked to me, a real-ass belt. I mean, it didn't appear to be worked. Certainly his back doesn't appear to have been worked. And Cody did a great job of selling all of them and doing it in a way that allowed them to drag it out a little bit. So big props, uh, big shouts to Cody uh, for that and like for really... Putting his ass on the line for this.
2: Yeah, I thought it was also kind of remarkable. Like, this is a promotion where we already had a bunch of crazy hardcore matches. Uh, in particular, the Moxley and Omega one with, like, a bed of barbed wire and, you know, exposed ring and all that shit. And despite that, like, despite seeing, you know, those wild spots or whatever, just... I, I don't know if this is, like, going to sound like a old guy take or whatever. But they, like, did less here, but just did it more slowly and deliberately with cody selling this shit in a big way and it just came off as more effective to me like this seemed like a more personal and uh you know uh uh, a vicious attack on at by mjf on to cody than that whole moxley omega feud did really where it just seemed like okay these guys are in a feud it's like a wrestling feud or whatever this just felt and maybe it's just because you know they always say chops or like one of the things that hurt most in wrestling. Maybe this is just that times 10 or whatever, because you got a belt. Um, but yeah, I, again, I thought it was a, a a pretty engrossing way to end this show and to, and to build some more tension between those guys.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely more interested in this match than I was before. And I'm infinitely more interested in Cody versus Wardlow than I was before this segment.
2: Yeah, I gotta say, um, you know, I don't want to be too critical, but pretty, pretty poor job deleting that, Aaron. Didn't sound like you hated it that much.
1: I didn't, but when we were talking, well, first of all, you know, we got to create controversy here on the show, but I also like, I just don't feel strongly one way or the other. Like, I don't think it was great. I don't think it was awful, which I think is a real, is a bad thing for like this to be their big main event segment. And I'm like lukewarm on it. Like, I, I really wish that I felt one way or the other about it, but I'm impressed that they tried something. You've never seen this on WWE. So it's not like a main event contract signing or some stupid shit like that. This is something, I mean, it's not brand new, obviously. It's an idea that they've taken from, uh, from, you know, Southern wrestling in the seventies or eighties, but it's something that we haven't seen on American television, certainly not in a long time. And it's not what you would expect. And so I'm glad that they're still playing with the form playing with the medium.
0: Yeah. And I think that might be one of the things that make this, such a controversial segment because i've seen like half and half of this is this isn't something they're going to pull out of their back pocket for every feud this is something that is one of those big once in a decade things you could really do because like that's just, these things is supposed to be relevant for this because you can't just constantly go like well this heel's doing something shitty to cody time to, for him to get the belt so maybe it is that like the crowd response was they did not know how this was going to go and then by the end when they were like openly like chaining for Cody for like the last few ones that was in control. But like there's, was, there was like one shot with this. And I feel like that a lot of our reactions to this is the last big, like one of these feuds I could think of was Tommy dreamer with the Singapore cane and ECW doing this. So, and, and that was something that was very crystallizing with it for Tommy dreamer. But at this, like we're talking about like big t- uh, Cody moments in AEW. This is, I'm not going to remember this one in 10 years, which I think if we're going to judge it on like, this is supposed to have like a memorable impact out of everything that's happened with Cody in this promotion. This is probably one of the like less relevant things I would say. Like, I don't think we're going to be talking about this in four months or like when we do like our 2020 awards, like it's just, it happened. And I don't think it was either prepared for a way that the fans are going to ultimately like look back at this as like a big crystallizing moment. I don't think it's going to be something that, ultimately like they're going to be able to do until for like another 10 years because you can't do this that often. So if we're going to judge it on that thing, then I guess maybe it wasn't as much of a success as we were thinking about. It. We just like the segment.
2: Yeah, I disagree. I'm definitely going to remember it. I'm going to remember it, you know, three times as much as any other random wrestling main event. Uh, because I've seen 60,000 matches in my life and I've seen one whipping in my life. Name it. So, um, okay. Number one, uh f- uh feaster fired match tna um fuck okay (laughs) Uh, i do want to shout out you mentioned the tommy dreamer match Uh, i'm just thankful they didn't do the thank you sir may i have another gimmick that would have been corny to me so i'm glad they didn't
1: you you wonder if some of the crowd reaction was just like kind of fucking uncomfortable to watch this happen in front of your eyes you know
2: yeah i mean I, i definitely saw uh you know uh Our friend of the show, John Neve, was tweeting uh, that he was there, and it was not his, you know, favorite segment on the show. Um, And you know, other people didn't seem to be enjoying the segment particularly. I, you know, there's very hard to distinguish on television if people are quiet because they're bored or quiet because they are uh, 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 really feeling the impact of those shots and, and empathizing with Cody.
1: Sure, an emotional silence. An emotional silence. Alright, I'm thinking since, you know, we've we've done this for a little while, we probably should just weave in our our favorite and, and least favorite parts of the show as we're running down the show, generally. Is that okay with everybody? That's cool. Okay, uh, quickly I want to tell you all what, what we got on Patreon this week, patreon.com slash everything elite. On Monday, dropped uh, a new show, we're calling it for now, the EE e. Extended Universe, which actually I like, and this week... First guest, WiccaFace, Springs Eternal. We had a lot of fun. We talked about... He really loves Jungle Boy. We talked about Jungle Boy at length. He really loves Reho. We talked about Reho at length and that casual fans love Reho. And he's, of course, right about that. And uh, if you're just like a WiccaFace fan, we talked about bands he'd like to tour with. So that was a lot of fun. And, uh, of course, we had Light this week, which it was just Mike And then Nate's BT report, I wasn't around. And then next week, we're going to have a new episode of The Errands. And it's Aaron Taub and I talking about uh, why Democrats always lose. And of course, talking about the absolute boy, Bernie Sanders. So that's it. Sign up. We got three tiers $3, $5, $8. You can get every piece of audio we produce for five bucks. And we usually put out at least one show a week, often, or at least two shows a week, oftentimes even more than that each week. So. That's my pitch, patreon.com slash everything elite. I'm thinking we should come up with a uh, something weird to do when we hit 100 patrons. I think we need a goal to get people excited about something dumb happening. Okay. Any, any thoughts?
2: Uh, like a pick-em-payoff here.
1: Yeah, like, uh, I listen to Blocked Party a lot. Have you all listened to Blocked Party?
2: No, I just saw that Taylor Lorenz was on there, and I was a little uh, hurt that uh, my good friend on Twitter, Taylor Lorenz, did their show before our show.
1: Well, that's fucked up, and I may have to stop listening to Blocked Party because of that, but it's uh, John Cullen, Stefan Heck. Uh, It's very good, very funny, but they they do the goals on Patreon a lot, and uh, for one, I think um, they're going to have a boxing match with each other. (laughs) <laughs> if if they get to some insane amount of money, you know, it's, uh, their patrons are a little different than ours. But uh, I just think we should come up with something dumb to do if we get to 100 patrons.
2: Sounds a lot like uh, uh, Brothers Boxing back in university days when I would go hang out at the frat, and the frats would have their Brothers Boxing where they all get drunk and have boxing matches in the sand pit for the volleyball court and give each other concussions and all go to the hospital.
0: Love that. I actually did a fate like a somewhat death match when i was in college with one of my friends at like what at like a fraternity party as like a thing so yeah like you could be i'm not gonna get fight you aaron Taub. oh aaron bentley sorry i got really <laughs> emotional thinking about attacking my good friend aaron but yeah no, we, we gotta figure something out like if it, if we're gonna do something like make each other review really bad matches or matches we know that each other would uniquely hate or if it's just something wacky we should do it
1: if any listeners have any ideas for something you think would be funny for us to hit 100 patrons, then we're we're open to suggestions. Hit us up on Twitter. All right, the ratings came out earlier today. This you know it's Thursday we're recording, and who is it? Murder Brian said every podcast you have to start by saying what day you're recording and what day someone might be listening. So AEW comes in 928 thousand viewers, up a hundred thousand viewers from last week, up. in the demo from a 0.34 to a 0.36, but down to 11th on cable. So a lot more people watching this Thursday night. Um, And then NXT up 7.12 to 7.70. And they were stagnant in the... I tried to say static and stagnant at the same time. (laughs) They were stagnant in the demo uh, 0.22 from last week and this week. So I don't know. It's like a big bump in total viewers, which is important for AEW, even if the demo is the most important. And I don't know, makes you think that perhaps they have done a good job of selling this lashes thing and people tuned in to check it out.
0: Sure. I just it, it's one of those things that like I have my big spreadsheet of all the ratings and all the demos. And when I looked at this, all their ratings since the new year have in the demo have fallen between 3.4 or 0.34 and 0.38. Like, that's where they've been at for the last six weeks. And viewership, like, total viewership has fluctuated some, but it's been healthily in the low ends of the 900,000s. And I guess the thing I'm like really interested in seeing is if this got more attention, like, what's going to be the thing that they could build upon and make this into a million viewers, get back over that threshold that they haven't hit, I think, since the third week of TV. Yeah, third week of TV. So that, that's kind of what I'm interested in. Uh, basic Cable was dominated by Fox News coverage of the impeachment trial. Um, just like seven of the te- top ten were that, and then the other two, there were two NBA games, and I f- forget what the other one was. So it's kind of a interesting thing. It's a little deflating because I feel like that this would have been something that would have some peak interest and didn't really happen. So it's just, I don't know. It, it, we're kind of at a point now where we have a trend, and now I don't know necessarily what it is for them to break that trend.
2: Yeah, I don't have any uh, interesting takes. You know, the, the you know, AEW's found that floor and the challenge now is converting people from DVR viewers to live viewers, I think. Uh, yeah, and doing something unique like Lashes, I think, is probably going to be a draw. Um, so, yeah, you know, really the interesting thing is going to be continuing to watch the failing WWE in decline with their, you know, uh, attendance down, worldwide attendance down, Google interest down, merch revenue down. Pay-per-view buys down, average network subs down. Of course, now they're admitting the network is failing and going to uh, sell that off to the highest bidder or at least some element of it. So uh, you'll love to see it, folks. You really do.
1: I mean, <laughs> it's just uh, when bad things happen to bad people, it's just fun. You just, you can't help but enjoy it. I mean, and, and this it, week- It fills
2: I- me with such joy, really. That's the the primary emotion I would feel when I see bad uh, uh, economic results for the failing WWE. I would say it's probably joy. Absolutely,
1: it's joy. I mean, here's the thing. Uh, WWE, for its entire existence, has been bad for professional wrestling and bad for professional wrestlers. And its complete death and erasure from the professional wrestling scene would be a net positive, not just for wrestling, but of course for society in general.
2: I think that's a a measured and sober take by you, Aaron. And uh, I think time and history will prove you correct
0: i think it's just hilarious (laughs) like just how this went and having to have vince mcmahon who's bad at prep at investor calls have to do a investor call because he was too mad that his uh co-presidents didn't do exactly what he wanted so he fired them and then having this it's just you love to see it you love to see the fact that Anyone who thinks that WWE has been a core good in professional wrestling really needs to fucking read a book and particularly read Read a book. Yeah, and particularly read Death of the Territories. Like that book will tell you how damaging it was. And I think like this week's show was like an example of a place that really has not been featured as much in wrestling, but for a long time, Continental was such an important wrestling area. Like there are a lot of people who say, oh, we talk about how good Memphis wrestling is, but Memphis was basically doing stuff that like half the speed of continental was in the gulf states so like the fact that like that they still like look like they had a pretty strong crowd last night when wwe i can't tell you last time wwe ran anywhere other than like birmingham like they don't run huntsville alabama so i thought like that this is the good thing about having like aew out there as the failing wwe is now their stock price has been down to i think it was like 27 dollars since last thursday Vince McMahon is barely a billionaire. It, it, it's a good day in America.
2: I want to amend my my stat. I said that all those metrics were down. Uh, what I meant was the cumulative average of those metrics is at a 10-year low, is what I meant to say. And, of course, uh, Brandon, Howard Thurston doing Yaleman's work on all the stats and on the earnings report call this morning. So check out you know his timeline in WrestleMania.
1: I mean, don't you think that if WWE died, I mean, look, AEW pops up. And they are bringing in seven to nine hundred and fifty thousand viewers every week, filling buildings. If WWE died, another company at least the size of AEW could form immediately.
2: Well, I think we, I think Ring of Honor would jump right into that spot immediately. I think they, because they, sure. they have the, yeah, you know, they're, they're uh, as we discussed last week, their buzz has surpassed NXT's for sure, just off the. Uh, the change of having Marty Skrull in power there. And they have the infrastructure and the roster where they could get plugged into like a major league spot, you know, uh, relatively easily. Obviously you would need to upgrade production significantly and stuff like that. But, you know, they have an office that knows how to book tours and knows how to do TV and shit. If you want to know who has more buzz, NXT had Charlotte on this
1: week for a big ankle with three Ripley and Ah, uh, barely pushed up in total viewers, and not at all in a demo. I mean, it's just, you know, it's bad. In, even the fucking investors are like, "What is the NXT deal? Why, uh, why did you all fuck this up so bad?" So I mean, yeah, it sucks, yeah, sure. and uh, it'll be dead soon, and and that'll be good. Uh, but enough about Rush
2: Limbaugh. <Lin-Wall. laughs> <laughs> all right, let's, legit, let's, you got me. Let's, <laughs> Dang uh... run,
1: Let's run down what happened this week on, the oh, fuck, this isn't NXT, on AEW. Oh,
0: wow, completely filtered here.
1: Yeah, I'm dying. Okay, so this show started, I don't, was I drunk? Di- I don't even drink. Was I drunk during this? So it started out as a Jericho Moxley video recap, but then there was like a Cody MJF part. I was like, okay, they're running us through the big angles. But then there was more Mox Jericho stuff at the end of it?
2: Yeah? um, I don't know. That that, that didn't grade up against me. That, that didn't throw me for a loop, so I, I don't remember okay. it in particular.
0: Yeah, they've was... been doing this. When they haven't had, like, cold open in the ring, they've been doing this for a little bit, and I don't have exactly what each segment of that was written down, but that makes sense.
1: All right, well, the first thing, the first, like, real thing we saw was uh, John Moxley for the second week in a row entering through the crowd. He's in the ring, and then Chris Jericho's music plays. He... Sammy Guevara, Jake Hager go to commentary, but Hager, of course, does not get a headset. Does not sit at uh, at commentary. Sammy Guevara very correctly points out what a great song Judas is,
2: and Jericho gives Sammy credit for starting the crowd singing along to it. Jericho really was uh, just going 100 miles per hour. He kind, of, you know, he kind of dominated the announce desk, uh, which you expect, but is also like kind of fine because. Pretty much every line he said was either an attempt to get the feud over or to get somebody in his stable over. It's not like he was out there, you know, burying everybody. He was like, oh, now I'm going to talk about Sammy Guevara and how great he is for a while. Like, and just, you know, his his mind was going a mile a minute on that shit.
1: Or to get Moxley over. Mm -hmm. He did the whole thing about like, oh, he's a brilliant wrestler, you know, this and this and this, but he's such an idiot or whatever. I mean, it's just great classic stuff of getting your opponent over.
0: Yeah, and I feel like this whole entire segment was pretty successful. I mean, it was not a very long match, but you had Jericho always pushing forward with the angle. You had Ortiz. They made a big deal about this is Ortiz's first singles match in so long. And then Santana was down there with him. And just, like, all played off together. And it was a good way, I feel like, this whole entire thing throughout the show of – escalating the moxley versus the inner circle feud and they not by like having one segment dominant but having like little stuff happen throughout the show and i feel like it was really successful in doing so the one thing that was not a success though is whatever the gimmick like eye patch that john moxley is wearing that he constantly was readjusting constantly readjusting i guess the whole thing with new japan with his eye patch kept on falling down they realized that that was no go and they had to fix it but yeah i feel like that this was overall a general success
1: yeah just uh, because I didn't say this before, John Moxley defeated Ortiz with the paradigm shift. Uh, afterwards, Santana comes at Moxley. He also eats a paradigm shift, and then we see Moxley with the keys to the whatever the car was that uh, Jericho gave him, and he says, "Eye for an eye." He's got Santana, and he, you know, apparently pokes Santana's fucking eye out with the key. So, I so the match itself. I thought I wasn't crazy about how the finish worked out and that like I like the idea that you don't want this to be a squash, even though it should be. So you got to figure out a way and they did figure out a nice way to make it compelling without that. But then it was like Ortiz got fucked up at the end and that's how he lost when it's like really Moxley should have put him away at the end. But when they did this angle, I've kind of been I've been skeptical of the whole Mox Jericho angle on this show, but when they did this, it all, congealed for me of like okay this feels heated now it feels like there's a real issue between these two groups of people well the one group is just moxley and now i'm excited to watch it go forward
2: yeah i thought angle was pretty awesome um but I'll, so this will be my elite pick of the week or whatever they did a bunch of angles on this show a bunch of video packages and they all landed for me uh my delete pick of the show was they did too many angles and video packages on one show we you would get a little more impact on each little, you know, post-match scruff or whatever. If you just separated them out a little bit, like if this had been on last, last week's show, instead of the goofy little segment with Moxley going against 10 guys, then that would have been awesome. That whole show would have been stronger. And this show, I don't think would be, you know, much weaker or anything, but just awesome angle here. Um, the there's like you know a a fun little poetic element to it with the eye for an eye thing and also him using jericho's actual car keys to do this attack and making it you know more personal and more of an insult in that way uh it advanced moxley's character because now we see some of that uh more anti-hero badass side of moxley like oh damn he did something fucked up because that's how pissed he is in this ring like he's not just oh you know i'm john moxley i'm kind of you know, a uh, 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 carefree, cool guy. And I'll drop you on your head. It's like, oh no, he fucked up, and like Santana, like you know, is going to be feeling the impact of that for a, a long time. That's cool. And just, I also thought the angle was enhanced by having Jericho and the rest of the inner circle at the announce desk for the beginning of this, because they could sell to the audience directly how fucked up they thought this was and how much of a uh, how much distress they're in or whatever. So great angle uh, you know, maybe just give it a little more breathing room, uh, you know, uh, on the rest of the show or as compared to the other angles.
1: Next up, SCU defeated best friends, Frankie Kazarian pinned Trent with a Yoshi tonic after there was a counter out of a strong zero that looked to be the finish. Uh, the, I guess the funniest part of this match was that Jr called Scorpio sky too cold Scorpio. I wrote Scorpio too cold here, which is very funny. Uh, well, first, let's talk about the match, and then we'll talk about the, the post-match, if anybody has any thoughts on the match. Probably not. Okay, post-match. <laughs> so the Dark Order comes out. They they clear the ring. Uh, they offer a mess to Orange Cassidy. He does the gimmick where he puts his hands way up in the air and then shoves them down in his pockets. Uh, then he gets beaten down, of course. So Christopher Daniels comes out to save Orange, and the Dark Order backs down. So they all get out of the ring. The commentary does a great job here of reverencing the fact that Dark Order's been recruiting Christopher Daniels, so maybe that's why they're backing down. And then Christopher Daniels, this is my elite pick of the week, this angle. I love this angle. I've been the Internet's number one Dark Order defender, and that will continue this week uh, until morale improves. So Christopher Daniels, he they, they back out. And there's a lot of ways to do this, but Daniels really sells... And he's trying with all his might to get them to come back in and beat him down. He wants to prove to his friends that he doesn't have anything to do with the Dark Order. He's not involved with them. He's not interested in joining.
2: He hasn't so, lost it.
1: That's right. He wants to also prove that he hasn't lost it. That's a great point. He wants to show them. That's right. He's showing everybody everything. This is so good. Christopher Daniels is so good here. And this angle is so good. I fucking love it. And this is what I want to happen. Okay? Okay. Christopher Daniels is the exalted one. Mm. Christopher Daniels is going to join the dark order to prove that he still has it. Mm. Because Christopher Daniels as like an evil heel is his whole shit. I remember he was, I think this was on the art of wrestling with Christopher Daniels. And he was talking about how he wanted to do this angle with AJ Styles and TNA, where he said that America deserved to get attacked on 9-11. and Cole Cabana had no fucking clue how to deal with that it was so funny and it's like that's Christopher Daniels he's fuck Matt Hardy fuck whoever else Christopher Daniels should lead this group he's and they've already established this Kazarian Scorpio Sky tag team so they can keep doing the SCU thing do this
0: Daniels is so good I love it I I think that if we do this I think that basically this is such a tragic thing that it tears apart SEU, and then you have Scorpio do his big singles run like that. The fact that Daniels, who has been with these guys for most of their career, basically decides, "Screw this! And I'm the exalted one. Y'all played in my plans, and that's enough." That like these two guys, it's such a traumatic event that they go their separate ways. Then you have Kazarian go up against Daniels. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of meat on this bone. We can make a stew out of this. Let's go.
2: Yeah. So I think if you listen to the BTE recap on light this week, they did, did. do a segment where the dark order mat they SEU found a dark order mask in Daniel's bag, and I think what they're going to do is I think they want us to think that he's going to be the exalted one, and then they're going to swerve us, and it's not going to be that he was actually the exalted one. But I think they're I think they're relying on much the same logic that you are. Aaron's like, oh, you know, the fallen angel. He does like a whole, you know, a uh, uh, dark cult, cryptic, weird onk thing. And that fits right in. It would totally make sense. And he can be a cult leader and wouldn't have to, you know, uh, carry the burden of doing all this wrestling all the time. I think that all makes sense. I just feel like they're going to go a different direction. I think they want us to think it's Daniels right now. And the next step of the story is going to be, SCU doubts him and then ultimately it's revealed that he's not and it is someone else but it remains to be seen. See that's just fascinating because
1: they're telling a similar story with the elite and Adam Page. At least with the bucks and Adam Page. So those two stories can't go the same route. So one of them can't end up proving themselves to the group and then getting back in with the group like nothing ever happened. So sure. I'm not I'm not sure which one has to go another way we'll talk more about Adam Page here in a minute I'm sure but I'm just not sure about how how that's going to go but it's just what I would like to see it'd be fun we get an MJF video where he's kind of selling the lashes coming up he says he he did this to Cody because someone once told him if you're a walk behind her the view never changes so this is a good little reference from MJF he says Cody's not going to make it through the 10 lashes and this is followed up immediately with the Taz interview I was talking about earlier where he says it's going to be tough to watch. MJF taking it too far, but it validates how much Cody wants to get his hands on MJF. So they're hard selling this segment, but also just the angle overall. Next up, we had Yuka Sakazaki, the magical girl, defeating Britt Baker with a crucifix. Uh, and I'll just I'll go ahead and talk about the post-match and then we can roll it all together. Uh, Britt Baker grabs the ring bell and attacks Yuka. And then she puts Yuka's Mouth on the bottom rope and then kicks in the kicks her in the top of her head. We see blood coming out of Yuka's mouth and a tooth in her hand. And uh then Britt uh, puts the lock jaw on, you got blood going on, you know, all that. So uh that's a match in the angle. I know <laughs> Nate apparently liked it a lot, so uh talk your shit, I guess. Yeah, well,
2: <laughs> you're you're the dark order, resident, dark order defender, of course. So I'm gonna be the resident uh Joke not intended. Uh, Britt Baker defended defended. defender. Good joke anyway. Thank you. Actually, was not intended. But um, so this was executed really well in terms of you just get the little drip of blood at first, and then you get you know Yuka like in a panic and yelling and shit, and then the actual like payoff of you know she opens her mouth and there's blood coming out of her mouth, and you see the teeth come out of her mouth and shit. Like you can imagine how that would have come off. Uh, much goofier or much uh, faker in other promotions. Like I thought the actual execution of that was pretty good. Now it is like a pretty goofy angle. It's a pretty old school kind of thing. Like the evil dentist is knocking teeth out and shit, but uh, I'm just into it. I think, uh, I think it works for, it's certainly a better direction for Brit at minimum. And I also tweeted about this, but when she came out and did the, her ad break promo and stuff, She was just saying, oh, you know, we have to wait for the TV to come back for the match to start because, obviously, I'm not just going to wrestle for Huntsville, Alabama, and, you know, crowd boos. And she's like, what? I'm like, be serious. It's not my fault. I didn't book it, but let's be serious. Like, I'm a TV star. and That, like, in in combination with her promo where she's talking about how she's, like, the hottest girl in the division or whatever, and she's like, what? Like, look at me. Just be serious. It's just very funny that she's, like, she deflects the blame. It's not her fault that she's – the hot superstar on TV. Like, you know, that was the hand she was dealt. She's just going to roll with it. Like, give her a break. So I'm enjoying the character.
0: The My big thought of this match, other than, like, the match itself, which was what you expect. Like, I after after a certain while, like, talking about how Britt Baker, her character is there, but she doesn't have the wrestling ability to stack up the rest of the people there. That's fine. But uh, the thing that I think was so funny about this was, Kenny made such a big deal about, oh, Yuka didn't get her theme at Fighter Fest. So I'm going to make sure she gets her theme for Fighter Fest over for next time she's here. And then they didn't do it. And then after the match, they immediately start playing it and went straight, like, 10 seconds right into the attack. Which makes me think this was a deliberate thing, not your own competence. And if that's the case, that's a very good way to fire up, like, a very select, like, several hundred people of your viewership. And I thought that would have been pretty funny at least that's how i'm booking in my hand my head am am i completely out to lunch here with this
2: no i think that might have been intentional to get more heat on that um and it was uh, i think it might be a a little you know too cute by half or whatever that they're probably outsmarted themselves because i don't know that the casual tv going audience has you know latched on to that yuka theme yet and and become attached to it the way that the you know, weird corner of Joshi Twitter that we're in has. But, you know, if they're thinking on that level, that's kind of a good indication of, oh, here's how we're going to get the reaction we want. But, um, uh, you know, and and it uh, seems to have been designed that way, maybe.
1: I thought this was a big match for Yuki Kamafuku, for Saki Akai, for Suzume, Raku, whoever you think of as being at the low end of the card in Tokyo Joshi Pro. And I, I see a lot of people talk about you know, Tokyo Joshi Pro's fun, but the wrestling's really not that good. Watch Yuka Sakazaki against any of those people. Any of them. Just pick one. Any of them. Uh, when, when Brett started this match, I was like, oh, maybe this heel character is going to be better for her as far as you know the, the work. And Because the first like minute or so of this match, I was like, oh, okay. We got something here. And then it just kind of fell apart. And uh, I'm sure Yuka w- was doing her very best, but uh, as she always does. But uh, it was just bad as far as the the angle. It is. It's like right on that line of like whether it's like too cheesy or you know too much. Uh, but if you're gonna do blood, I, I'm I'm pretty much gonna be into it. Like that pretty much is gonna sell me on it being pretty serious and like pretty like creating a real issue between these people. So. I'm willing to give it a chance.
2: So we might have to, uh, I, I do think Brit's better than uh, Yuki Kamafuku. Okay, that's
1: um, that's false. I mean, be false. Have, false. Have, have,
2: having seen, you know, of course I was the first among us to start watching Tokyo Joshi Pro, so should probably respect my bona, my bona fides on that point. I won't. But, uh, but in terms of the rest of the TJ, TJPW roster, we might have to bring back the metric that uh, 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 our friend Kevin invented, which is, how many up up girls is Britt baker better than and it might be it might be zero I think it's probably zero uh,
1: it's zero i mean if you've watched yeah. if you've watched any of up up girls this year, then they are now all better than Britt Baker
2: for sure I, okay, but we can find um let's see I think Britt's better than haruna Neko. uh
0: pretty similar. But, I like, think, I think but like Haruna better. Neko is a comedy character. Like that's a different style of wrestling though than someone who's supposed to be taken super seriously, like Britt Baker is.
2: Yeah, I mean, but she's an evil dentist character. So it's not it's not that <laughs> that far removed. I think Suzume is better than Britt. Of course, we're we're newfound Suzumi stands. So is she
1: better than Shiori Sena?
2: It was that the rookie?
1: Yeah, she's worked approximately five matches in her entire career.
2: That's so hard. Like you look at, so it's, it's kind of a hard comparison to make with uh, young trainees. Cause they're so smart about designing the matches to accommodate for what people can do. Like you look at uh, Harai Kawato in new Japan when he was a young lion, it's like, Oh, this guy is great. Like every, everything he's doing out there looks so good. And he's going toe to toe with the other young lions. And then he goes to CMLL and it's like, Oh, this guy's dog shit. Right. So it's kind of, you know, they're, they're playing on different playing fields.
0: Yeah. And and it's one of those things like my big target for a long time was a former rookie in Dragon Gate called Dragon Daya, who just did not look very comfortable in the ring for the longest time. And then suddenly the last four months, he's might be the most improved wrestler in the world. So like you have like these opportunities to have like these big fonts of like experience to help them out there. But I definitely would say that Rip Baker is not as good as Cameo. Like just saying that is patently false. Like Cameo is I don't you,
2: know. Cameo is so goofy. Seems yeah, like she, a crazy person. Here's the She's real next. question.
1: No, here's the baseline question. And be careful how you answer this. Okay. She's
2: Who's better? Be Rip Baker or Palm Harajuku. <laughs> Palm. Um, oh, okay. So I'm, there's no, with apologies to Matt STL. Oh, no. I do not, I can't get invested in the Harajuku gear and character. I don't understand it. That's not the question. I've, no, that's, that they're, they go hand in hand. First of all, you need to understand that work rate is fake. And these things, you can't separate the character from the wrestler because they're one and the same. Having been to Harajuku, I would probably consider myself a Harajuku expert. I did not see anyone dressed like Pom Harajuku there. Uh, so you know, may well be fully competent in the ring. I just she's doing like a the the gear and the gimmick just it throws me off and I, I I'm it leaves me on the outside of whatever's happening.
1: Clearly, you're on the outside of what's happening, Nate. All right, moving on. The butcher and the blade and the Lucha Brothers defeated Hangman Page, Kenny Omega, and the Young Bucks. Pentagon pinned Adam Page after. Sure, this has a move, but it's the double stomp package, pile driver combo that the Lucha Brothers do.
0: Yeah, this ruled.
1: Yeah, well, let me just briefly. Let me just say quickly that the uh, let me come up with another adverb to throw in, and <laughs> it was the finish was Adam Page had just refused to tag in the Bucks right before this happened. They've continued the story here of Page never tagged the Bucks, and you know, they still can't get along for whatever reason
0: yeah, and this rule this would be my elite pick of the night, which is the most fucking on brand shit I could ever say. But this is like a special kind of match that they don't do that often on the show, but it's such a nice thing to do because I'm someone that I love a a eight man tag. I love a ten ten man tag. I like like these kind of matches because what my belief is that when you get past the trios, the three on three, each added person you add into each side should make the match more chaotic. Cause you have extra factors coming in there. It should be harder to get a pinch, it should be harder to like, to get away with stuff. And I feel like this match was like careening off the rails, but in the best way. And I feel like that that was something that was really effective. And, you know, I, I came out of this match thinking that like Kenny Omega and the butcher actually had some really fun chemistry, which, you know, that's another great thing about these matches. You get to see these matchups that you wouldn't necessarily think. And I thought that was really great. And the, and again, like this is this was such a good thing. Like, I know Nate thinks that this was a very segment or beat heavy episode where there was a lot of stuff going on here, but you had two very big beats between this hap- this match where it was his own, um, it was his own hubris that made Hangman lose the match and not tagging in the Bucks. And then you later have the backstage thing with him. And I thought that this was just a very excellently done. And if I did a notebook, this match would have gone in my notebook.
2: Yeah, very fun match. Um, cool to see Penta get a big win. I imagine that sets up a Lucha Brothers versus Omega and Page match at some point, which is a cool match that I would want to see. Uh, also, probably the thing I enjoyed most on here was like the Butcher and Kenny Omega in there. I also can't wait to see when the Butcher mixes it up with Chris Jericho just so we can get that sort of, uh, you know, I don't know, Gabe Spolsky might call it a dream match. Just a fun, fun thing for me to enjoy. Uh, but yeah. Good segment, good advancement of the storyline. Uh, good job on commentary with uh, you know Excalibur making clear that the, he never tagged the Bucks throughout the whole match. Also said it doesn't count in the rankings for anything, but it's still a big win for, for Pentagon's team. So, uh, yeah, you can't find a complaint about this, really.
1: Low-key elite thing about this match and this show. I've been irritated lately in wrestling of, like, you know, the in every tag match where somebody goes to knock somebody else off the apron, you know, one of the other people off the apron. And it's gotten to where everybody just kind of like walks over there and kind of touches them and the person just jumps it, off. Yeah,
2: yeah. Right. Has always annoyed me too, yes.
1: Well, there were two great spots on this show. Trent went after Kazarian in that tag match and just knocked the fuck out of Kaz and he sold it perfectly. And in, in this match, fuck, all I wrote was there was smart apron tag work on this episode. Oh, it was Adam Page. Somebody came over to knock Adam Page out and he just moved so they couldn't hit him. It's excellent. It was like beautiful. It's what you yeah. would
2: do. It's beer beer is a superpower.
1: So some pace stuff. So a little a little note here, because they are building on this. Like at times I feel like, oh wait, we're still doing this thing where he won't tag with the Bucks. But there were some small beats in this. That if you remember in the last match, Paige tagged himself in, hit the buckshot Lariat, and won the match, right? In this match, he tagged himself in. Went for the buckshot lariat, but missed it, and then the Bucks hit the super kicks they were set up to do before Page tagged himself in. So, a little bit of a build, and now the Bucks kind of have the upper hand on Page mm. completely here. So that's interesting. Uh, I don't know if Adam Page was the biggest star in this match, but there wasn't a bigger star. He was at least as big a star as anybody else.
2: Well, I think that's fair. Kenny didn't get the opportunity to shine like hangman did like Kenny, when he was in there was getting chance when he was down and selling, um, and then made the hot tag to hangman. So hangman, he reliably gets all the big shine in these matches. Uh, so he's going to get the biggest reactions probably, but he He's, you know, he's a great fucking hot tag. So
1: they can't turn this guy. They can't,
2: they're going to turn him like anti-hero. You know, they don't have they don't have strict pace, heel dynamics anyway. Cody like fucks around with it weekly. So, I mean, he's going to split and the fans are going to pick a side when it comes between them. But, you know, he's, I think that I think they found a good place with this uh, cowboy shit character. They're going to pick Adam Page. Probably.
1: That's dangerous yeah. for the Bucks and Omega, I think.
2: It's character. only it's only dangerous if you don't adjust for it. You just have to accommodate it and, and, and play off it in a smart way.
1: Yeah, I'm just I'm that's the story I'm definitely fascinated to see where it goes. All right, after the match, we just kind of saw them arguing with each other. Uh, then Kenny is still in the ring. We get pack on screen. He says this was supposed to be a contract signing, but nothing I do matters to you. You don't even care about Michael Nakazawa. What about Riho? And then he's just menacing fucking Riho. He's the biggest heel in the world at this moment in time. And he says, you know, you can stop this. You can stop me from killing Rio if you accept my match for, you know, the rubber match between us. So, of course, Kenny accepts. Pac says, come on, I would never put my hands on a woman. I'm not a beast, but she is. Nyla Rose comes out, puts Rio through a table and quickly says, Rio's ass is hers next week. Which was a lot of fun. Here's my delete pick of the week. It's right here in this segment. They go back and forth every week about whether PAC and Kenny Omega have agreed to have this fucking match. Last week, they said, oh, PAC had the the video where he's like, oh, you finally listened to me, Kenny. Well, apparently not, because now he's going to kill Rio. It makes no sense. This was great. PAC was great here. Nyla was great here. Rio was great here. But the it doesn't make any fucking sense.
2: The implication was that Kenny like missed the contract signing. Cause they, you know, like you said, they'd agreed to have it. They had a table set up for it. I presume lawyers had drawn something up to be sitting on the table there. And it was it,
1: like a parek.
2: And then Kenny missed it. Cause he was uh, in the ring talking to Tony, I guess is that's unclear. It's for sure. Like, okay, you can't pack just like, wait five minutes for him to get backstage. And then they're going to do this. I, didn't make a lot of sense, but it gave us this angle, which I thought, again, was excellently executed. Uh, also very smartly constructed because Pack gets all the heat for being a bastard and healing on this little girl. And they don't cross the line and, you know, make people upset by like having him actually lay hands on her or anything. Uh, instead, he's like, no, fuck that. And, you know, basically now has some involvement with Nyla Rose or set her up to be attacked by Nyla Rose, which is great. Advances that storyline. And even the Riho fans are happy because they can say, oh, yeah, Pac didn't want none of Riho. Like, right. he, was scared. Mean- he was scared to fight Riho because Riho would have kicked his ass. That would be a fun match. They should do Pac versus Riho, I think. Do it on the boat. There's something where they can get away with it because uh, 'cause it would probably be a good match.
1: That'd be great. They should. Well, so they did the intergender match that they put on Dark. So is there any chance of a Pac and Nyla versus Kenny and Riho match? I think that's a great match. I would be out of this world.
0: Yeah, that would rule. Uh, Pac is the best character in wrestling. I've been saying that for how long, guys? Pretty much since day one like his best character in wrestling and the fact that he's so just contemptible that he's like no i wanted to have this happen now i don't care about your interview so i'm gonna go pester one of your friends now and threaten and just be a menace and oh i'm not going to be the terrible person i'm not an asshole but she will take care of this was excellent and this actually kind of gets into my dealie of the week which because like my obvious one would have been what the next but. The fact that they're doing so many runbacks and they set up a lot of runbacks for next week and outside of austin like you're having rio versus nihilus or you're having a rematch of the first women's title match and then you're having hangman and omega versus stu like the the overall the whole idea about rematch clauses and whatever does not phase me too much there's enough root of that and combat sports for it to happen is just what it is it's just the fact that like they decided to load up the show of oh yeah this is happening again and this is happening again and they've made a very big point of that that was very frustrating for me and that's probably the thing i'm disliked the most on the show other than the very easy thing which i'll bury next segment
2: so i do i want to just get this on the record i hate a 30 minute iron match if you're going to do an iron man match it has to be an hour a 30 minute that's just a normal match like every main event in new japan goes 30 minutes how many times has Kenny Omega in New Japan had 45 minute matches with one pinfall? Now they're gonna have an Iron Man match where he has takes three pinfalls in 30 minutes? That's that's annoying to me. That's a you know, that's a stupid pro wrestling thing or whatever, but just and also the triple threats should not be no DQ. I'm gonna say that again.
1: Yeah, Iron Man matches are dumb, generally. I'm I'm anti Iron Man match. Just have a match. You can do two out of three falls, or you can do one fall to a finish. That's it. But this was good, and I like packing and Nyla. I like continuing to create some units, or at least some loose associations, so you can do some interesting things with that. So that's good. Next up, we got a Darby I video. Like,
2: I like interplay between the roster. People have dynamic relationships. It's not just everybody in their little vacuum-sealed feud.
1: Next up, we got a Darby video. He's, he's coughing. He's selling the throat damage from the skateboard attack. This is one of the few times I'm glad they did a flashback because I was like, what the fuck is going on with Darby? And then they showed, of course, that he got his throat destroyed last week. So that was good. And then <laughs> we see that cardboard standee of Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara and Darby Allen pulls out a motherfucking flamethrower and just destroys it. This was excellent.
2: Now, do you think when they ordered the cardboard Standee they had this in mind? Or do you think this is just like an added bonus? Like, oh, Darby's gonna do something fun because he's working this little mini feud with uh with Sammy and the inner circle?
1: No, Darby was like looking at it and he was like, Wait, what if I took a fucking flamethrower to this and he had to like convince Tony Khan that it would he would not die?
0: Oh, I think Tony Khan no, totally probably didn't came.
2: Yeah, probably didn't take much convincing.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony was like, Oh, you want a flamethrower? Here, here's a flamethrower. And I just feel like <laughs> that he probably, uh, uh, like, he's the son of an oligarch. He probably has these things lying around.
2: Oh, he probably texted famous idiot Elon Musk, like, Hey, give me one of your stupid flamethrowers.
0: I like this. I like that we might get a Darby Sammy
1: match. I like you got this long term story where Darby eventually beats Jericho many years, maybe not many, but several years down the road. It's uh, I love it, great stuff. Next up, Kip Sabian defeated Joey Janela. Sabian rolled up uh, Joey after Joey hit uh, Penelope. They ran into each other on the ring apron. Uh, this match wasn't very good, and also it had a you know non finish basically. So I don't know if they're going to do it again, but uh, it's just all bad.
0: Uh, I think it's time for us to face some facts, and this match is basically being- facts. Yeah, yeah. This match is probably the, the best example of it. One, they need to stop trying for Kip Sabian. Like, he's not a terrible wrestler. He's just not interesting at all. And that's just very frustrating to like eat up TV time that they could have devoted to someone like Sonny Kiss. Because whenever I, I see uh, Kip Sabian from now on, I think, oh, we should have had we should have had Sonny Kiss wrestle on this time and give Sonny Kiss more ring time. It's just like this. And then the the thing, and I feel like we've talked about this a little bit, boy, does Joey Janela not feel like Joey Janela recently? Like, am I the only one who like really picked up in this match? That, like all the years of glamour of him have just completely fallen away. And I just don't know if Joey is ever going to be this person that, that he was elsewhere here, because that's that was like my real take on this match. But like, ugh, yeah.
2: Yeah, I think we talk about Joey just about every week and how this isn't working don't really have anything else to add um thought this might have been the blow off like oh okay this isn't this isn't really computing so let's just uh you know do another blow off here on the middle of the show like they did with the Sean Spears blow off and just sort of uh move on but yeah I don't you know you can't just stop trying with the guy but certainly you have to change things up and give them a break and take some time away and uh, move in another direction until you can come up with something, some new idea or something. Cause yeah, just didn't, didn't work. It's just uh
1: it's another example of the problem they're going to have of not having anywhere else for guys to kind of work on things and, and figure things out. So wh- where's Kip Sabian supposed to go and get better?
2: Well, I I mean, I, we haven't really talked about this. or really talked about the labor stuff in general, but it does seem to be the case that guys are working a lot of other dates or have the availability to work other dates if they so choose. Like, Joey's on upcoming GCW shows and, you know, we see, like, the the Jurassic Express is booked up and down the West Coast. Like, it seems to be that people have the ability to work elsewhere, you know, for friendly promotions or whatever. And Darby said on the Meltzer interview, oh, yeah, no, like, you know, he has the ability to go wrestle – uh, in approved places, or they, he didn't even explicitly say approved, but I presume there's an improvement happening, an approval happening. Um, <laughs> but he just uh, he chooses not to because he just wants to keep himself fresh and special for AEW. So, so I, I just have to to shout that out. That if you're going to be employing guys, and we're not talking about full time employees that you're also giving you know the health care and benefits and all that stuff. If you have these people that you're bringing on as independent contractors. It's, uh, you know, uh, what we had hoped to, to see where they would be genuine independent contractors that have the advantages that come with that and have the ability to go work for other companies. And that seems to be the true on some level.
1: Yeah, it does. Even we're seeing that apparently they can take Mania bookings, Mania weekend bookings, even though it was previously reported that they were not allowed to take Mania weekend bookings. So that's positive. And I did this take somewhere. I'm not sure with whom. Maybe it wasn't on this show because Nate, you're saying we've never talked about this, so it must not have been on this show, but I did it somewhere. Do you think it's possible that AEW has they've created this weird problem where they pay guys enough that they
2: don't need to work elsewhere? But Yeah, I don't I don't remember that take from you. So they, so it's causing them to only work the AEW dates and not become better wrestlers or whatever as a result.
1: Right, they don't need the money, they don't yeah. need the the indie bookings. So it's just like, well, I might as well save my body, which to me makes the most sense. Right, but for that's a guy a like Fabian, he needs the work.
2: That's can only be a good thing, and I guess that's like, in these specific circumstances, I guess that's where you hope it's like a, a merit a merit meritocracy merit meritocracy. Fuck <laughs> meritocracy meritocracy. That's tough. I, 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 that's where I, I got, you got a, going. I got an email today with the word interlocutor in it and was trying to figure out how to fucking say interlocutor for about 10 minutes at work today. You don't get emails about interlocutors enough. Um, the, you just have to hope that people want to be good enough that they go out and improve themselves. And you hope that it's a meritocracy and that the people that go out and prove themselves and become more entertaining and uh, more engaging and better wrestlers, uh, you know, see results in how they're treated on the card Um, I don't know. There's no other like the only other solutions for that are you pay people less, so they have to go work elsewhere, which you don't want, obviously. Um, or you know, you uh, impose uh, continuing learning on people, they have to go uh, study up on their wrestling in a dojo for a certain number of hours per year or whatever, which also, you know, very silly. So, yeah, I don't know that there's a solution for it,
0: yeah. And it's something with him versus someone like Britt Baker, who we've talked about, like her relative inexperience experience and where she is in a career. Uh, Kip Sabian is someone that is not an essential cog in this company. He, and at the same time, he has not had a single match on cage matches. I was looking this up as you were talking, mate, since they've gone on TV outside of the ages of AEW. So since October, he's had a grand total of 13 matches, which if you're someone who's that you're trying to worry about wear and tear, I know he's English. So he might be going back and forth between Britain and America. So like, back.
2: I, in- I think he moved here. I think he okay. and Jimmy Havoc like lived together, maybe with Penelope in Florida or something. Now this is just from like the three, you know, <laughs> Twitter posts or whatever I saw.
0: Okay. But that's think, a wild think, condo. But let's just, I let's think, just get into yeah. that for a second. That's a wild place to think about like, those three together. But uh, it, it's just, you know, like he is someone that could, they very easily can say, Hey, you're still getting like your payment, you're still under contract, but for like the next few months, we're going to hook you up with DDT. We're going to have you go down to AAA. Like, this is a company that if they're giving you these opening dates, you can do excursions and keep people fresh. You can do things with, especially at a roster of this size. And I think we're going to come to a place where I think that if these wrestlers are truly independent contractors, they should facilitate this between them and their partners to allow this to happen. Because when you have stuff like this, this deep into the promotion now, you start wondering about like, what's your long-term plan for growth?
2: I do. So that sounds like a great idea. The uh, problem I have with that example in particular is I feel like if Kip Sabian took this act to DDT... It would get really over, but he wouldn't get any better because he would just be doing the same shit and it would just be a different audience, right? This is like a a backhanded insult of DDT mostly. Yeah.
1: Okay. I mean, I don't have a strong take on DDT, so it's fine. Next up, we saw Alex Marvez is with the Inner Circle for about 0.2 seconds. Jericho takes the mic away, pushes him out of the picture, of the shot, that's what I was looking for. Jericho, you know, does a few lines a little bit here. What kind of piece of trash tries to cost another man his sight? And then we get a surprising, I mean, it's not surprising that it was good, but it kind of came out of nowhere And we got this excellent Santana promo. He says this has been the worst month of his life. He's playing on, of course, you know, real life stuff that's happened to him. And then he says that Moxley has just poured gasoline on it. So next week it's eye for an eye. Now we've got a fucking really heated match for next week.
2: Yeah, great segment. Put it over on Twitter. Awesome to have Jericho intro this and do his little, you know, uh, comic heel shtick, and then Santana just takes it and takes over the segment and takes over the whole show in that moment, you know, incorporated the real-life stuff into the work, which, again, is what I think they have made a habit of doing and is good to do. Uh, and, yeah, now there's, like, a hot match between Santana and Moxley coming up. Uh, you know, I would presume iPatch versus iPatch here. And uh, again, this guy just got to fucking show his shit on TNT. And everybody knows that he's a great personality. And in addition to being a great wrestler, loved it.
1: Yeah. Th- these guys, I don't know, they may have benefited more than anybody from AEW. I mean, Adam Page has probably benefited more, but, and Darby Allin. Okay. I'm talking myself out of this, but they definitely benefited a lot of like, oh, there's a lot more people now that have to realize how great these guys are. So that's good. We got a little uh, Dark Order recruitment video, nothing of note here. Lexi Nair catches Adam Page backstage. The Young Bucks are there, and they're asking uh, Adam Page what his problem is. He sa- and they say, if you keep this up, you're going to lose next week, referencing the match with SCU. And Matt says to Adam Page, I already know what the problem is. And we close this out with Adam Page pulling up a pitcher of beer that was previously hidden from view. And uh, it takes a big swig, and then uh, we fade out and move on to the next segment. Do we think Total
2: BTE gag, which I very much enjoyed.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, Nate, do you think they're going to bring back BTEs drug-free with this?
2: No, that's why he's, you know, chafing against the rest of the elite, is that he's embraced the drugs lifestyle, and the rest of them are all still straight-edge.
1: That's fair. Yeah, I don't know. Is Matt saying your problem is that you drink
2: too much? Is that what is that Matt's comment? Maybe. Might have been. Either that or, you know, the a lot of the original conflict arose out of they were all winning and they were all, you know, the rest of the elite was all winning and successful and executive vice presidents and Page wasn't. And he's like, you know, I'm just you guys are, you know, he's he's at odds with the group because he was the one sort of left out of that. And that was where the original conflict came out of. So that would I guess would be the other, you know, he's he's bitter about the elite success or whatever. Um, or something to that effect, but the other obvious option is that it's because he's drinking beers. Can the young bucks turn heel? Ooh,
0: I don't. Well, know. I, again,
2: I guess it means you know they can do heelish things. It Doesn't mean that they're going to be received as heels.
0: Yeah, like that's the thing is that you get to a certain tier of performer. I mean, like Chris Jericho does heelish shit all the time, and he's basically had to start openly like baiting crowds to get a consistent heel response so it like uh it's one of those things that like nate said earlier like there's no real big face and heels just if the audience likes you or not and to have someone who just the audience consistently dislikes i don't know if the bucks can be put in that position unless something drastic happens
1: certainly hard to imagine them working like traditional heels
2: Oh, disagree. It's like their whole PWG run was them doing back handspring back scratches and shit.
1: Sure, you can do that. But do you think they really want to go on TV every week and not do crazy
2: flips and uh, pop the crowd big time? Well, I mean, they still did flips and shit when they were heels too. They have a wide enough range as uh, characters and as performers, I think, that they can sell at their heel. I mean, really, their whole New Japan run also was like them being the heel gaijin and getting their asses kicked and then lying on the apron crying or whatever. Um, So yeah, I don't know that their performance, I don't think it'd be any issue whatsoever. The larger issue is that the crowd sees them probably a lot like Cody. um, And that it's like, oh, these are the, these guys represent all of AEW. So if I boo them, then I'm actually booing AEW. And that's not what the intent would be. That's that's pretty much it, because the next thing was a Dustin pre-tape setting up the lashes segment, and we,
1: we've talked about the lashes. So I think they're in a really good groove here. That's the word I was looking for. I think the show is starting to get into a groove where it helps that they're finally building toward a pay-per-view. But I think yeah. they've hit a nice stride of like stuff that's easy to watch and fun to watch. It doesn't all have to be that important, but hitting enough stuff every week to keep building it and keep you interested. So I'm feeling as good as I probably ever have about like the how this show is going to be over the next 10, 20, 30 weeks.
0: Yeah, and I think this is something that they had such a long break between Full Gear and Revolution, right? Like, I don't even know off the top of my head, but it feels like it was like close to 12 episodes or thereabout. And they've done a, a good job of like, kicking it into the next level get it up to the next gear when they've like needed to to build up these things you know how much i like talking about beats but they've done such they might be having almost too many beats right now and maybe you need to start having these beats on dark just to as nate said maybe to have some more give some things some more air to breathe but you know other than like really the kip and janella match there wasn't any moment on this show that i was disenchanted by the product or i felt like that it was that the product was tending bad. And it's kind of wild to think about like how things were after that twelve eighteen show that everyone hates so much. But now I feel really confident about the AEW product.
1: Well, they are going to Texas next. So they could get the beats chopped and screwed.
0: Oh my God. No, 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 no. no, That's Austin. Like, come on, Austin versus Houston. Like, I... I
1: know just, you know, Give me as, some leeway here. For as Christ the sake.
0: resident Texan, <laughs> I have to make sure that you understand the uh, different geography. I area. do.
1: They should run Port Arthur next. Rip, Pimpsy.
2: Uh, R.I.P. Right. DJ screw.
1: That's right. Okay, uh, Dark, this is what they recorded for Dark. Riho versus Shoko Nakajima.
2: Surprise, Shoko.
1: Can you believe it? We had no idea Shoko was in the building. Apparently, they have opened the Visa gate. <laughs> that that one got me. What? That wasn't a shot at you, Mike Spears. Mike's flipping me off. I just thought it was funny. It was funny. Thanks. No. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy Havoc versus Sunny Kiss. Hikaru Shida versus Cassandra Golden. I have no idea who that is. And uh, the Dark Order. Evil Uno. Stu Grayson taking on Marco and Jungle Boy. But are they not calling him Stu Grayson anymore? Jr. made like a shitty joke about it last week. he's he's like here's grayson don't call him Stu. no clue
0: no clue whatsoever
1: next week february 12th austin texas women's world title Riho taking on nyla rose we got john moxley taking on santana hangman and omega defending the tag titles against scu and i like this they started building some matches for down the road we got two in two weeks in atlanta a tag team battle Royal for a title shot at revolution. I hate that. Why have the fucking rankings? If you're, and you're just going to give it away in a battle Royal, that's very dumb. Cause the rankings are fake. I know, but then get rid of them. Like, well, I mean, we agree on that, but you can't ask me to live in this universe. And then I don't know. Imagine I finished that with some metaphor that made sense. Yeah. No, good job. <laughs> Thanks. Let's I imagined, a, I imagined a good one in my head. So appreciate it. And then of course, the steel cage match with Cody and Wardlow. And then they even announced a match, Three weeks away, this is where they're going to do Pack versus Kenny in the 30-minute Iron Man match in Kansas City, Missouri, presumably. Actually, I don't know. Okay, um, we've actually gone pretty long, so I hate to do too much about uh, these other topics, but let's hit them real quick. Honestly, I don't have anything to say about action figures, so I really don't know what we would say about them. AEW's getting some action figures.
2: Yeah, they're getting action figures from, what did I say it was, Jazzwares? Jazzwares. Jazzwares. And uh, just the interesting thing about that is these are the, I think, relatively new toy company that does the Fortnite toys. So they have the same sort of range in the types of action figures they make that the WWE would have. Like they have they could have a cheap line and also have like a, you know, one of these more expensive lines, all the props and articulation and all this shit. So, you know, uh, I'm not a toy guy, but for the toy people, they're right in that same market.
1: The Nightmare Collective is apparently just over. They're just going to drop it. So they last week on Dark, if you listen to Light, you would know this. Or if you just watch Dark, I guess, that would also help. They beat Mel and who else was in there? They beat down Awesome Kong and she's leaving to do Glow. Luther. Luther, that's right. Dr. Luther, Japanese Deathmatch legend. They beat down Kong. They wrote her off. She's going to do Glow for a little bit. And of course, they brought out Brandy on this show. To do something else and she had a little i don't know if you guys saw this on twitter but she had a little interview with lexi Nair.
2: oh i discussed it on aw late
1: oh did you i didn't know it was i didn't know that it was already out by then
2: yeah um i so i'm not you know this isn't definitive i don't think that it's actually done this sounded like some dave uh reasonable speculation that ended up written up as news uh because of course brandy did come out as you're about to say in just her normal person character but in the uh, the thrust of these therapist sessions is that she's sort of breaking between personalities or whatever, and sometimes is nightmare collective brandy, and sometimes is normal uh, chief brand officer brandy. So remains to be seen, but certainly they've de-emphasized it.
0: Yeah, and I, the quote I did not listen to the Observer last night, but the quote definitely was at least from like my years of reading Dave. Like it does seem like it's reasonable speculation and it's kind of interesting but i think the real interesting thing is this last bit and i think there's actually something for us to get into with this last item maybe so do you want to introduce this
1: yeah so chris jericho said on his podcast that basically i guess he had some talk with vince before he decided to sign with AEW, and vince told him to go ahead and do it if that's what he wanted to do or whatever and then so jericho did also well i'll I'll say this later but anyway Jericho then goes back to Vince and says, Yeah, I signed. And Vince says, Well, can you get out of it? And uh Jericho says, of course, no. You know, he's already signed the deal. Uh so an interesting thing, my first point is that Jericho is really lame. Like the idea that Oops, he would, How dare you? How dare you ever go to Vince McMahon and be like, Vince, is it okay with you, Daddy, if I <laughs> sign this contract? I mean, that sucks so bad. He's always like, Oh, I just, I just respect Mr. I respect too so
2: much. Okay, I did. I wanted to get one daddy vent on this show, so I'm glad you hit it.
1: <laughs> so that sucks. The only thing that's like important about this to me, although nobody said it, usually people be like, dur, 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 contract tampering, which is like not a real thing that exists in real life.
2: Okay, so it's contract tamper. We haven't, I didn't even look this up or anything. Contract tampering is like, if you have a, some sort of collective where people have agreed upon the, 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 the terms of how people will be signed, like in a uh, professional sports league, you have a collective bargain agreement and there's all these guidelines on how teams can negotiate with players after certain dates uh, and so on and so forth. Right. This is the context where contract tampering would come up, where in the context of the NFL, they have rules written up in the league constitution. Like you can't tamper with other teams contracts, correct?
1: Yes. It's a collectively bargained thing. Yes.
2: So, but there is still tortious interference with another person's contract. Yes, there is. you can't. You still can't go around like uh, uh, incentivizing or uh, uh, inducing people to break their contracts and fuck up somebody else's day. So it, it's not that people can just run around, you know, uh, trying to buy people out of contracts before the listeners get the wrong idea. I'm just no, going. No,
1: there. But AEW, like Cody even said this at once, AEW can absolutely go talk to Seth Rollins and say, Seth, when your deal runs out, we'd like to sign you to a deal. And here are the terms. And they can say, okay, when that deal with WWE is up, we're signing you to a deal at AEW. There's nothing unlawful about that. Sure. That's
0: the point I'm
1: making.
0: Okay. And and like the overall thing, like there was the whole thing about uh, Adam Cole possibly was tampered. And then that kind of went on to like Roderick Strong and Kyle O'Reilly and how they backed off because they didn't want to see it was contract tapering. But like the big thing about that and why they backed off wasn't necessarily about the contract t- tampering. It was about that if these contracts are put into the court of law, if I'm right, they're going to be found to be completely invalid because it goes against the independent contractor clauses of the IRS code, correct?
1: Yeah, that's, that's the most likely outcome, although now we have all these judges who just literally do whatever they want. Right,
0: right. But it's just one of those things like you hear this and... I think this is like the the contract tampering thing is kind of funny, but more so it's just like this is this is the actions of a company that's scared and scared of the fact that people are succeeding without their help and the whole daddy Vince trope. And, you know, is it necessarily a thing where his relationship with Vince McMahon is to a point where they like talked about this kind of thing? maybe but i mean at the same time that he also was showing up in new japan way before that and vincent seemed to be it but it, it's just something that one of the things that i remember hearing when there was the startup before it was officially all Elite wrestling was the idea that the Khan families were not afraid of these lawyers and these contracts and if that's the case then why wouldn't you be going after this? Are you just afraid that if you do this and they're going to go after yours and then both your contracts will be declared invalid when it's threatened in court? Like, is that the big deal with this? I don't I know. Mean, it, is,
2: it is probably, uh, you know, I, I'll just take the uh, natural pessimistic view of a billionaire because that's the rational and correct thing to do. Yeah, you don't go out of your way to go to court and have uh, uh, contract terms that you could potentially use to your own advantage invalidated. So, you know, that in however many years time, they can decide to employ those as they see fit. Like, no, you know, rational capitalists don't do that sort of thing. They just say, well, you know, I'm not going to pay money to hurt my own economic interest down the line.
1: Yeah, they're not. People thinking that Tony Khan is going to try to do what I was talking about earlier. Go ahead and talk to Seth Rollins or go ahead and I mean, and not that he would ever try to get Seth Rollins, but you know what I mean. He is never going to try to really ignite that kind of war with Vince McMahon. It's not in his interest as like a business person. And those people just don't do that to each other, really. Unless he thinks he can put him out of business, which he can't do.
2: Right. The I I mean, you know, it was it's certainly a that was an idea that had been talked about and I'm sure we talked about at the beginning of this show when we started doing the podcast um, but I think we've seen how uh, how focused the company has been on becoming profitable quickly they're not spending above their head to get a Randy Orton and try and make a big dent in the WWE they're instead spending less money on uh, you know less famous people because they want to turn a profit so that's probably the real crux of the issue is th- it's not there's no one person on the WWE roster who it would be worth the money to go spend that money on to, to have a giant legal battle blow up. Um, yeah, it was just, I mean, you know, uh, the the only stars that might be big enough would be like the rock or John Cena or Brock Lesnar. And, and I don't think they would be interested in the first place. I agree. I mean, I do think when Brock Lesnar's contract comes up, he probably, uh, you know, <laughs> plays, plays all the companies against each other. Like he usually does, you know, used to be that the, you know, threatened to go to the UFC or whatever. And now I'll just be like, Oh, AEW is offering me 5 million a year Vince.
1: Yes. Whether or not they actually do that. Sure. I'm sure. He will, but it would be fun. I mean, I don't know how quickly it would get boring, but like Brock's music hitting and him just like walking down the ramp on TNT would be like, definitely be a moment. So Anyway, we don't need to fantasy book uh, people who might come into AEW <laughs> at this very moment. So I think that's it for this week. Anything else you guys want to chat about before we go? I got nothing. Okay. No, I'm good, bud. All right. Well, make sure you're following us on Twitter at EverythingAEW. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Pittacus. Mike is at Fujiheya. Yeah. Subscribe to the podcast, rate and review. And most importantly, I don't know if it's most importantly. Most importantly is subscribing, getting this show every week. But also importantly, patreon.com slash everything elite. We uh, would really appreciate it if you gave us a shot. Uh, it's still early in the month, so, you know, you get plenty of content this month. So give us a shot. Uh, see if you like it. Most of our people stick around, to be honest. Like, we've got a lot of people who've been with us since the very beginning. So uh, we've got good content coming your way. So join us. And join us again next week uh, for this show. We will see you sometime next week. So, for Mike, I'm Aaron. We'll see you then. No, for Nate, too. Fuck. I'm also, I'm also signing off for Nate.
2: Wow. Wow. Yeah.
1: For Mike, for Nate, I'm Aaron. See you next time. I